2: Hello dear listener and welcome back to another episode of season 5 of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me Caroline Foran. I hope by now you have probably gotten my message about my new book Naked being out. I really am so proud of it. I've gotten such good feedback from it. I hope you get a chance to read it either on your Kindle or The Real Deal in your hands. It's available widely and it's all about um, helping you curb behaviours and thought patterns and feelings that don't serve you well and giving you another alternative to a more calmer life and one that's got less anxiety, less stress and of course if you're listening to this we all want more of that. For this episode I'm so thrilled finally to be joined by Stephanie Preisner who is a guest that so many people were asking me to line up and uh, between the jigs and the reels we finally got there and I would say this conversation is probably the most radically honest conversation I've had on this series it was a real like therapy session for me and Stephanie I think too just to to talk through things and we talk a lot about therapy and you know how difficult it is to find therapy or a therapist that works for you and how to approach that and she had some really brilliant advice around that and we talk a lot about people pleasing and both of our needs to be liked and so much more stephanie shares a lot about her personal experience of anxiety which i know will just be very reassuring to anyone listening so do listen do subscribe do enjoy and stephanie also has a number of episodes of her podcast it's called basically this year that have focused on anxiety and mental health is a very very regular theme that she covers so do check that out as well and thank you as always for joining me Stephanie Preisner, I'm so thrilled to be joined with you this morning over Zoom unfortunately not in person you've been someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for so long and I guess from watching you from afar and reading your your stuff and your writing there we have such a similar outlook on life and coping with anxieties and we also seem to have very similar anxious responses to things as well um, and so I just want to say thank you so much first of all for joining me Thank you for having me. I <laughs> I, I, have, uh, because I did Mental Health Month on my
3: podcast and I was asking my followers who they wanted to have on and everyone was like, Caroline Ford, Caroline Ford, Caroline Ford. So I'd say that like in people's minds, our, like the space that we occupy overlaps on a Venn diagram very significantly. So I was really delighted to be asked on so thank you so much
2: thank you and the same like i put out a question box to my followers recently and the amount of times your name got got mentioned so um it seems to be like two people's two favorite voices on mental health coming together (laughs) so we're gonna we're gonna solve everyone's problems not really people will know you from your writing your netflix series which was incredible you've got so many strings to your bow and most recently you have been a source of really valuable information and comfort and reassurance for people during covid so i I just want to give you the opportunity to make maybe just introduce yourself and describe what you do because it's, it's hard to get it into like one sentence.
3: Yeah, um, and it's also like indicative of my sort of like fragmented self um, and the insecurities that I have where I like constantly need to have something to distract me. Um, so I, I started off as an actor, but um, I didn't get much work there and I started writing then. And I found that people were really interested in hearing me speaking my own words rather than me speaking somebody else's words as an actor. So um, I toured plays for a while and then I wrote a TV show called Can't Cope, Won't Cope, which was on RTE and then BBC and then Netflix. So I'm, I work as a screenwriter and then I have a weekly column in uh, the Sunday Independent magazine that comes with the newspaper. And I kind of do like social commentary there, a lot of mental health talk. And um, I also use my Instagram platform to I guess when I'm anxious I wrap myself in facts and knowledge because it comforts me other people need to like switch off from the news but if something scary is happening I need to like be in the middle of it so that I can see everything that's happening so nothing jumps out at me um I like like when I was a kid I couldn't play hide and seek um I couldn't hide and wait for someone to catch me like that sort of suspense really still triggers me so I was like the person would stop counting to 10 and I'd just jump out and be like I'm here I'm here you caught me you caught me they wouldn't even have looked for me and so that's what I do on Instagram I just give people explanations on what's happening with the government documents what are the regulations things change so quickly and I stay on top of it every day and just make things a little bit more simple for people and then on my podcast which is called Basically. I focus on getting experts in to make complicated things simple for people. So how to get a mortgage, what kind of insurance you can have, how to sort your personal finance, how if you get a positive pregnancy test, what are the next steps there? Um, What is the story with COVID? I get an expert in every couple of months to talk about how the virus is progressing. And then this month I had four episodes of each week, on mental health. So how do you find a therapist? What's the best kind of therapy for you? Does everyone need a therapist? Then I did one on anxiety. So just kind of making, I ask my followers what they want, made basic, and then I get an expert to do that with me.
2: It's amazing. It's so needed because like I turn away from the news because there's just, it's overwhelming because there's just so many different voices and so many different sources of information that I find that I can't control that. So to have one sort of distilled voice where you can come to and, and have it made sense for you, I think is is genius.
3: People have been responding to it really well. And my rule is that, like, I don't give my opinion. A lot of people are like, what's your opinion on the school's been closed? Or when do you think I'll be able to have a wedding? Like, my opinion doesn't matter. Like, there's too many opinions out there. These are the facts right now. And that's really uncomfortable because I think people like me, I would love to know when, when I was going to get a vaccine or when i will be able to have a wedding with, you know, but those things are unknowable at the moment and that's really uncomfortable. So everyone is looking to, to everyone else for the answers because that's human nature. We want certainty, we want routine, but we can't get it. And I'm really scared that in that vacuum of people hunting for, for security and knowledge, that's where kind of fake news comes in and you get these WhatsApp messages going viral and people spreading disinformation. And that really scares me because, you know, that's actually really dangerous. And so that's, I'm trying to fill that vacuum with facts and information.
2: Yeah, amazing. I'm really thankful that you're chatting to me today, and um, not only because I've wanted to have you on, but as we were talking about before we started recording, and um, you had said, "Oh, look, I don't know how much help I'll be to your followers right now because I'm having a bit of a hard time." And I think it really helps people to hear from someone who's sometimes in the middle of it. And I, I'm very conscious of when I'm having a hard time vocalizing <clears throat> it in the moment. When I had my baby last August, I had crippling um, anxiety afterwards and I was doing all these stories of me crying my eyes out because I was looking for comfort and I was looking for reassurance from others and now I look back and I think oh god you know it's easy to think I should have just talked about that when I had come through it maybe after the fact but that maybe feeds into the idea that people are more comfortable when we are comfortable and maybe it's perpetuating the idea that it's not okay to not be okay unless you've come out the other side of it so how important is it to you to I suppose own it when you're really not feeling right and let people know that that's okay. I think it's
3: crucial because so many times in life we only hear from people after the fact. You know, we speak about trauma in the past tense, like "I was so sad," "This thing happened to me," "I didn't think I could." But you know, and like our whole life, and particularly on social media, it's before and after. Look at the before and after pictures. And right now, any sort of person who was curating a mental health page wouldn't put me up as a as a before or an after because I'm right in the middle of it and and it's difficult that's why i said i just don't know how much help i'm going to be because right now i feel so kind of i don't have very much hope and i don't want to make people feel hopeless but that's where i'm at you know and like i feel like i'm kind of bang in the middle of some unknowable uncontrollable wildness within me that i that i can't seem to get out of and the things that i'm doing at the moment like i have my second appointment with a new therapist me and my last therapist <laughs> we broke up and you know that's really difficult because you get attached and someone knows all this stuff about you and then it's not working and you have to process that and then I kind of beat myself up being like was it me am I too much am I not enough
2: yeah and that's hard yeah
3: it's hard to be in the middle of that and not be like I thought that I was too much but then I realized that I'm just enough you know I don't have that that knowledge right now I'm in the middle of it so And it's tricky, you know, because it's not even because there might be people listening to this now who are also in the middle of it and saying like, oh, but I'm she seems like she even knows what's going on. And I'm even worse than her because I don't even know how I feel. And that's okay too. You know, like being in the middle of it doesn't look the same for everyone either. And right now I sort of have my professional hat on because I know I'm doing a podcast with you, but I'm also trying to check my ego and not try to appear professional for the sake of it I have these coping mechanisms you know when I'm when I feel insecure I do things like I'll use I'll use bigger words than I need to to appear intelligent or I'll try to outsmart someone or correct someone's pronunciation of something these are all things that my ego does to make me feel like a little bit a little bit better and 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 I'm capable of doing those things in this so if you, if you notice me doing that just know that that's that part of me that's like a little bit uncertain about this and and, and we'll call her out there because I'm happy for that to happen but yeah it's tough you know and it's not it's not really based on anything I had a tough year last year a couple of things happened I had a couple of like medical scares that are you know resolved now but kind of ongoing with appointments and it's not really a time that you want to be going in and out to hospital and my Nana died in 2019, so. That was a you know, that was, was a big,
2: hurt. big thing for you.
3: Yeah, that was huge, you know, but yeah, that kind of, it was huge and sad, but, you know, I think it actually just changed me. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to go back to the person I was when she was alive and I've sort of given up trying to get back there because a lot of people were like oh you'll, you know it's going to be a while but you'll get back to yourself I don't I don't I think I'm just a fundamentally different person without her now and that's okay too because I have had moments of like great joy and great happiness since she's been gone so I know that those parts of me still exist maybe they're just a little bit different now
2: yeah you mentioned there that just before you started saying that that not a whole lot was going on or you know there's not that big of a story to tell of why you're in this situation and I always preface you know, when anyone asks me, like, what happened to you when you had that breakdown, I'm like, oh, it's nothing really. Do you find that you're looking to constantly justify your anxiety?
3: Yeah, because I think it's it's is it just a natural thing that humans have where we want an explanation, like why did this happen? What, well, how can I a good enough explanation? But like, people don't really say like, well, actually, they do. You know, someone's like, oh, she died of lung cancer. Someone will be like, did she smoke? <laughs> like. And when people, when she said, no, never smoked a day in her life, then people are like, oh my God, like that could happen to me because we all do the things that we do to, to, to look after ourselves or we don't. And we know that we're actively not doing it. You know, so people who smoke, know smoking, smoking is bad. And people who don't, you know, people who drink excessively know that that's bad. But I think the difference is that information and knowledge are not the same thing, because if we just needed the information, then, then no one would ever smoke, but knowledge is different. And I am justifying. I try to justify my anxiety by being like, I need. What is? What happened? Like, why has? What has triggered this? And and it doesn't. And like, my GP and I are flirting with the idea of medication again. Um. So I was on antidepressants in 2013. So I guess maybe it might be helpful to just go back. Like, I was an anxious child, and and I'm an anxious adult. And you know, those two things kind of very often go in the same direction. And as a kid you know, without going too much into my like personal stuff, basically when I was a kid, you know, a couple of things happened that made me as a child not feel like the structures that you can depend on are dependable. Yeah. So my parents got divorced and a couple of other things I had to move country. And so as a child, then I was like, Oh, hang on. Like what's, what's definitely something that I can for say for sure is knowable and is is, is secure, what will always be there. And then, you know, you find out about Santa and all, everything just gets like, lads, what is the world? Like, um, and so I was pretty anxious all the time. And as a kid, it would manifest like, like I had to know what was for dinner on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday on a Monday, you know? And I had to know who my teacher in September was going to be before I finished up school in May, or he just wouldn't sleep. We went to the same apartment complex in the same island off the coast of Spain every year for about 10 years, because I would get so sick being somewhere new. Whenever we went somewhere new, I would just be so anxious. But if we went, you know, my mom only had a week's holidays, let's say in the year, or we could only afford to go away for a week in a year, then, then like it wasn't worth going away to a new place. If it was going to take two or three days for me to settle. So You know, it was just those kind of little things. You were
2: trying to just control what you could control, I suppose, because there was so much that you couldn't keep your finger on, I suppose. Yeah.
3: And you sort of feel like, oh, yeah, children can't control very much, but adults can't control very much either. And so
2: that only gets worse.
3: It does. And there's so many more things that you feel like you should be able to control. And so um, and like, I've been to therapy, you know, I know these things. But what frustrates me and now that I'm in the middle of it is that I know that there are things I can't control. But it doesn't stop me feeling anxious that I can't control them. I don't seem to be able to just do that sort of like, let it go. That sort of meditative Buddhist, you know, you are one with the world. It's difficult.
2: There's such a big difference between knowing something, identifying something and then actually feeling better like I had the same problem and I always do and it's like okay I've realized that I'm in an anxious way if I can pinpoint exactly why it is so why can't I just feel better and there's always such a delay there I think between your your body catching up with your mind having been able to rationalize it you know because it involves hormones and like there's so much discomfort happening in your body physically you can't think your way out of it just by knowing it but it is probably really crucial and beneficial to have that skill that you can understand it and identify it and it probably pushes you a little bit further along the road to getting or feeling better than if you had no clue and you're like what the hell is this where is it coming from what's going on well I don't know because there's another frustration then with that comes with like you know it's frustrating
3: to get a washing machine without any instructions and not know how to use it but it's even more frustrating to have the instructions and for it not to be working still being like I'm doing all of the things that the instruction manual says and it's still not working So, so true, you know, and like they say, like, oh, sure, knowing it is half the battle, it's not. Well, if it is half the battle, the rest, the other half, I haven't even gotten to yet. So, it's going to be a long battle, you know. Um,
2: And how is it manifesting for you these days? Oh,
3: like really weird ways. Um, Some days I'll get an email and a work email, and I just won't be able to open it. Like, I'll just be so afraid. Like, even when your email came in and it was like, here are the like vague topics we're going to talk about tomorrow. I was like, oh my god! Like, maybe she's angry with me. Maybe she's canceling. What is in that email? Someone's annoyed with me. Someone's cross with me. Like, the world is unsafe.
2: I know. And when I, I got your voice mom. note before I even listened to, it, I was like, she's canceling. She's canceling.
3: Yeah, you know, like it's it's that, and it's and it's things like, I'm afraid. Of course, now I'm afraid of COVID. I'm afraid of my mom getting COVID. She's in Cork. I'm an only child. She's a single mother. That's a very intense responsibility on me and then there are things like my sleep is disrupted I can't sleep jitteriness crying sometimes for for no real reason in a kind of a it does feel chemical like it feels hormonal it feels like the same way like before I get my period I'll sometimes be off sorts it just feels like I'm in sometimes a different body and then other things are like not knowing what I want for dinner not being satisfied with anything feeling like I mean for dinner you know being like I don't want that I don't want that I don't want that feeling like all like I need to check in with every single one of my friends to make sure that they're all still friends with me and I haven't uh, offended any of them even though it's not possible that I could have offended them but the pandemic and the amount of time that has elapsed because also I think mainly probably going back to when I was a kid and my parents separated and my dad left I you know some people believe that like absence makes the heart grow fonder but I sort of like in my body believe out of sight out of mind and that is a sort of an instability within me that is always there like I feel the constant need to remind people that I'm that I exist and that I still want them to like me and and that I'm still good and I'm still here and can they still you know acknowledge me which which seems like when I say it like if I heard someone else saying it I'd be like oh god I would really have to use some muscle to find empathy there. I'm really hard on myself for that part of me that's like, why are you so needy? Like, nobody... It doesn't matter what they think of you, but it does, to me, matter. It does. And, and it
2: matters to everyone, I think, whether we like to admit it or not. And it's probably partly a case of nurture in your experience with, you know, having had your parents separate and maybe there's, I'm sure your therapist has tried to bring it back to that. But also all of our nature is to is to want to be accepted and to be liked because if, if we were at risk of, disappointing someone in our tribe and getting thrown out your survival would be at risk so it's like we've it's an adaptive response to keep us alive but obviously in this day and age you know we're we're not our survival isn't necessarily a risk, but we're still dealing with a lot of the same hardware and the same responses are just no longer helpful. I think it's even more magnified now with with COVID, I think, because you're not seeing people and you're only, your, your relationships are reduced to WhatsApp or whatever. And, you know, you can pick up on tone differently. And I just keep thinking, oh, they're annoyed at me. What have I done? I think I agree with you in that, like, absence for me doesn't make the heart grow fonder. I need to be around people to, to feel like I can settle down that part of me that needs to know that, that they're on good terms with me.
3: Yes. But it's not also like with with everyone like there are some people that i do that i don't really care like i have like i have forty five thousand followers on instagram and like if i were to care about what all of them think of me i would explode and yes like someone might message me and be like i don't like the color of your yoga mat <laughs> and i'm like oh god maybe i should maybe i should get a yoga mat because like I, i'm sometimes Primed to focus on the neutral or negative things rather than focusing on positive or the fact that like 45,000 people want to, well, at least a large majority of them want to be following me. But there are some friendships then that I can like latch onto and be like, this is the friendship that matters now. I need to cultivate this one, even though someone else might be knocking on the door, being like, come on, let's go for a socially distant walk. I'm like, no, no, no. My brain has told me that this friendship from like 1992 is in trouble and I need to focus on this one today. So it's not it's not a. It's, it's sort of a maladaptive coping mechanism because it doesn't actually it doesn't address the needs that need to be met at the time, which are probably just connection with anyone or to feel like the, my I am on solid ground and I am safe in the world.
2: Have you gotten to a point where you've maybe accepted that this is just who you are and that maybe it's not something you have to try and fix? Obviously, you don't want to be in a situation where it's really negatively affecting your day. But do you allow for the fact that maybe it's something that's just there? <clears throat>
3: On days when I have the the stomach to to accept it I can and then there are other days where I'm like why am I like this you know like the first book I wrote is called Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same and and, and I quote that frequently. I'm just like what I just don't understand why the changes need to happen and I don't understand why I am like this. And then there are other days where I'm like you know I, I, I do the mantras and I and I and I accept myself and I do like there are parts of me that are that are great. You know, like I am a ferociously loyal friend. I'm kind and I am generous. And I would like a friend like me and I have friends like me, but there are days where that doesn't seem to be enough to make me feel accepted in the world or safe in the world. Or I don't know what that adjective I'm looking for is. There are days where it's just not enough how, how good of a person I am. So on the days where it makes my life unmanageable, That's when I know, like, this isn't. This is an issue. Like, this is something I need. I need to address.
2: So it's it's talking therapy. So psychotherapy. You've been doing. Um, Have you ever done any other kinds of therapy that have you found like helpful? Like, would CBT be something that you would tend towards? Because that was it for me. I've done CBT, and that really helped with panic attacks,
3: particularly, but not so much with this thing that I'm going through now. So I used to get panic attacks, and they were wild. Like they were mental. They started happening. Uh, so the first one happened when I was in Australia in 2011. And I thought I was having a heart attack. And it felt like my chest had turned into a concertina. You know, like it was just very bizarre. And I rang my producer and I was like, I need to come home. I can't continue this tour of this show. I, I need to be back in Ireland. And that was a real turning point in my life, that coming home there, because I, I came home, but I didn't tell anyone I was coming home. I continued to pretend that I was in Australia online by putting up pictures of postcards zoomed in that I had taken at the airport to pretend like I was going to all these places. It was mental because I just was so afraid that people would think that I was a failure for having to quit my tour. And I was touring a show at the time called Salpadine is My Boyfriend. Um, And it was just about this girl whose um, boyfriend breaks up with her and her primary relationship becomes one with Codeine. And when I came home, I realized that I wasn't the person I was pretending to be on social media. Like on social media, I was like everything was a lol. I was making jokes all the time. I was I was kind of that account on on Facebook that like you'd you'd send memes around to your friends from, you know, like I was kind of witty and funny, and I just wasn't really that person in real life. And then I was afraid that when people met me in real life, I wasn't living up to that they wanted to meet the Facebook version of me um and so I had to delete my Facebook and try to like integrate my real self like in all of myself into a real version of myself that I could present to the world and be like look it might not be what what you want me to be but this is who I am and the only way that I can exist in the world is if I'm radically honest about how I'm feeling because otherwise I feel like you want a different version of me that I've put out there so that's why I kind of am radically honest about things but
2: was there a turning point where you decided to consciously own that vulnerability and like commit to it going forward uh, yeah it was that I was in my bed and I'd
3: been in my bed for a week in Dublin pretending to be in Australia and I was like I can't do this anymore so that was my first kind of journey into therapy after that I stopped taking saltadine and I stopped drinking I started seeing a therapist you know a lot of things change then because once you start like taking down the structures that are maintaining your your fake your false self they come like you take one structure away they come down pretty quickly because you know it's an insecure structure then so
2: and that must have been terrifying to i suppose terrifying bring yourself a bit closer um, to your most authentic self and, and let the world see that yeah and this was like 2013 where things
3: like your most authentic self weren't really sentences um like or like i <laughs> i hadn't heard them so I was just like, I'm having a, a nervous breakdown. Like I'm having a personality crisis. I lost a lot of friends who were like, I, you know, I I stopped, I stopped doing a lot of destructive things like I was doing, the way I was drinking, the way I was eating, the way I was just behaving. And so I'd say to my friends, like, I realized there were some friends that I had never, ever, ever met sober. And I would say like, Hey, do you want to go for a walk or a coffee? And they were like, uh, absolutely not. And you know, so people fall away and then real friends stay and, and they support you in that transformation. But it's difficult because you're, there's a lot of like double takes where you respond in your old way and then you have to be like, actually, that was just a habit. Now I need to change my mind. you be like, actually, that thing you asked me about yesterday, I've changed my answer. So it's tough, but I had a lot of support and a lot of good therapy through that.
2: And did it get Which easier then a-, a little bit just to, to like know that, okay, well, here I am warts and all, like, did it dissipate any of the anxiety or did the panic attacks
3: the panic attack stopped it felt very brilliant for a time when i was able to i saw the power of real conversation like the transformative power of me not having to be i used to have to be the loudest person in the room i used to have to be the one who's who all the chairs were facing i used to have to and like in order to do that in order to be that person you have to shout down a lot of people you have to make other people feel smaller than you and i wasn't a very nice person to be around um, like I was funny but at the expense of people and and you know i was I was annoying and I was loud and i I was so uncomfortable being in loud places and I don't like crowds or loud noises I would have to be absolutely stocious or drunk or some some sort of numb to, to be in those places and you sort of realize very quickly like okay so tonight I'm gonna go out with this group of friends and my new self knows that she doesn't like being drunk. So, so I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to be sober and you go out and you're sober and you're like, oh, this is too loud. There's too many people. I'm a little bit scared. My heart is racing. The only, there are two ways that I can stop this feeling. I can leave or I can get drunk. And then you're like, ah, okay, so well, we've taken drunk off the table as an option. So you're going to have to leave. So then you realize there are certain spaces you can't be in. So I can't be in nightclubs. I can't, but I can't also be in like Croke Park, which is a football stadium. I can't be in, in concerts. I, I, don't, I don't like that feeling of my heart racing and, and that sort of pump and drive and, and euphoria. It makes me feel very scared. So the panic attack stopped when I stopped putting myself in situations that made me panic. They came back again last year after my Nana died, but they were much different. At that time, it felt like I was in Google Maps. This is hard to describe, but what would happen is I'd be walking in a park, Right. And I, I'd feel this sensation come over me. And you know the angel's bow, like the, the little the little space between your nose and your lip, that little indent, that goes numb. It's very strange. That that goes numb. And then and then it feels like I'm in Google Maps. So it feels like I'm 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 in the space. And if I move my head up to look at the sky, I don't move, but the sky comes down to like to my vision and if I look around all of everything I stay still but everything else moves and then I can't breathe and then and then I start crying because I'm like oh my god I'm having panic attack and then the whole thing gets worse so the CBT helps for that but and, and I and I manage that day I haven't had a panic attack now in probably seven months which is good and um, I also have tried compassion focused therapy I have to say I have had a very recent experience of of therapy it wasn't compassion focused therapy but of, of, with the therapist and it ended quite badly she was great but I I have I've processed it I've been very hurt by it even though she didn't do anything to hurt me that's just how I have experienced it and so there's a little part of me that's a bit cynical about it so if that part of me comes out here that's not to say that therapy won't help someone else it's just that coming from that bruised part of me but okay I don't know how to say this but I am sort of, as I said, neutral to negative on most things. I'm a little bit negative, just inherently as a person. And the idea of compassion focused therapy kind of makes me roll my eyes because my false belief, but my belief is that if I can just push through this, like if I can just be gritty enough and strong enough, that compassion is a bit like naps. It's a bit weak. It's a bit like giving in and I haven't gotten to a place yet where I can be supple and flexible enough to open my mind to compassion-focused therapy. It, it makes me feel a little bit like someone telling me to take a nap or to be gentle with myself or, or any of those sentences that I sort of really rail against. And I shouldn't rail against them, and I'm trying not to, and I'm sure that it actually is where my solution will be found. But right now, those sort of go gently be kind. It's so things. that's so
2: normal. I think, especially being Irish and we've all been conditioned to be like, get on with it, you know, pull yourself together, have a cup of tea, you'll be fine. And I was the exact same, like up until a couple of months ago, I felt the very same about self compassion. I was like, Yeah, well, if that worked, I would have bloody done that by now. And you know, just sitting there and loving yourself and being kind to yourself. It just sounded so frothy and airy fairy. I was like, fuck off. But what really helped me, I don't know if this would help you, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Kristen Neff. Yeah. And she talks about self-compassion versus self-criticism and how we obviously kind of default towards self-criticism and tough love. And we think it's going to help, like you say, push us through and burst through that bubble of of shitness when actually it perpetuates that cycle you're on because it stimulates a stress response. Whereas compassion, you know, if you kind of switch into self-soothing mode, which I know still sounds like bollocks, it actually down regulates your stress response and it, it it stops that cortisol production and it brings in like oxytocin and stuff. So for me, it helped when I looked at it that way and said, okay, it's not just a nice yes. idea. It's actually impacting your biology. So maybe you should give it a go. That worked for me
3: yeah the science there now you see you can definitely get me on board when you start talking about cortisol because I believe in science so there's that and then yeah other types of talk therapy I mean you know and I on my podcast um I did an episode with Mark Smith he, he just finished this year the outgoing head president of the psychology society of Ireland and he quoted a study that said that 50% of the progress that anyone is going to make in any therapeutic alliance is based on the fit the relationship between the clinician and the client and so it's really crucial to find someone who works for you but the catch-22 is that the more times you leave you start therapy and then leave it's kind of like the more time the same amount of times that you quit smoking and then go back smoking you believe that you're incapable of quitting smoking that it's sort of reintroduces the idea to the person that like therapy is not going to help you so I've gone to several therapists and you know they haven't really helped I mean one of them now like I was this was before I started like getting honest with myself I just lied my whole way through just wasted a load of money in there um and then other ones it just hasn't been a good fit you know the problem is when the client thinks it's a good fit and the clinician is like this
2: is working (laughs) what do you think needs to happen because it's a constantly like a question I get asked like can you recommend a therapist can you recommend a therapist first of all I can't because my one therapist who I had also broke up with me but because her she she was no longer able to work and you know it's not a case of one size fits all but there's a real issue like you say there with you know if people are going to be hopping around from therapist to therapist they're going to be discouraged they're going to stop having faith in the whole idea of it what What would work? Like, is is it like a therapy speed dating thing to find your match?
3: That's what I said on that episode with Mark. Like, there should be like a Tinder for therapy. So I would go and listen to the episode with him because he gives some good tips. But if I can remember some of them, it was like, first of all, you need to ring around. You need to acknowledge that, like, you, you need to test the water and you can ask them, like, Do you do a reduced rate for initial sessions? Like the guy that I am now starting to see, he does a free session, first of all. And it's not about talking about any of the issues that are bringing you to therapy. It's more about him just seeing if it's a good fit. He talks about his qualifications. You need to ask about qualifications because therapy and they're changing it. And I think it's different in the UK. And I know a lot of your listeners are in the UK, but in Ireland, the phrase psychotherapist is not a protected title. So, in Ireland, like you can't just say, "Oh, I'm I'm a physiotherapist." You have to have done specific training to call yourself a physiotherapist. That's not the case in Ireland. So with psychologists, so you can do uh, a two-hour course online and call yourself a psychologist. It's like personal training. It's not. Um, now they're trying to do some. They're trying to get legislation in to change that. So you really need to be sure that like the person that you're with is chartered with PSI in Ireland um, or IACP there's all these things that like they need, they should have to be qualified to do what they're doing. And then it's about, he said stuff like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and there's 300 things on the menu, you know, you're getting like a very generic version of each of those things. So if you are going to a therapist and they specialize in everything under the sun, like you, you probably going to get a pretty generic version of each of those, but they should have specialties. So It's also about looking at what, you know, you can ask. I didn't know that you're allowed to ask because it's difficult, right? Because when you're looking for a therapist, you can presume that someone's in a pretty vulnerable place. And when you're vulnerable, you need help. So there's this sort of beggars can't be choosers attitude where you don't feel like you can go in and be like, right, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to do it? Where have you trained? What are your practices? But you can ring someone up and be like, how would you deal with someone who has an eating disorder who has a history of trauma or how would you deal with someone who can't get over a breakup? Or how would you deal with someone who is, you know, dealing with addiction or any of the things that you can ask them like to give you a, for instance, in how they would manage and, and then see and know that like the first couple of sessions are going to be this sort of like same as the first few dates. Like, do I like this person? Do we get on? And apparently, and this is what I'm trying to remember from my podcast episode is that What you're looking for is, do I feel psychologically safe in this space? Like, do I feel like, because I know that a lot of people, they might have, they might naturally be oppositional. They might sort of, the defense mechanism in them might feel, oh, therapy's stupid. That person's stupid. I don't like their hair. That's a stupid picture they have behind them. But if you can comfort those things by saying, look, we're going to find someone who's going to help us. Do we just feel psychologically safe that this person can understand me, knows where I'm coming from? And might be able to guide me through what this sort of maze that I'm that I'm I'm lost in. Now he kind of says it better, but those were kind of his tips to me.
2: But that's excellent advice, just to kind of know that you hold the power, like because you assume that when you're in a vulnerable position, that you like you said, like beggars can't be choosers, and I think that's where I would fall down. Like I've been meaning to get back into regular therapy just to kind of keep things going along and you know having someone who is completely removed from your life to talk to about things and um, but where I think I would struggle is going in and just instantly like even if it's the person delivering my Tesco food and wanting them to like me and then even if they weren't right fit for me like me not being able to say oh like just having that confidence say this isn't right for me because then I get in this trap of well now it's about you know am I giving them information that's really me feeding them liking me as opposed to me getting what yes. I need out of this and that's when so therapy real. can really go against you. When I was
3: doing a couple of therapy, like I did a couple of first dates with therapists in this round when I was looking. And the first thing that I said was, I really have difficulty with confrontation and people not liking me. If you are just like, even a homeopathic amount of kind in my direction, that's enough for me to like, to want you to be my therapist. And before and I need this to be like a really good fit so can we take the burden together of like can you help me to break this off if it's not if we feel it's not working because it's going to be really difficult for me to do that and a couple of them were like absolutely and if you just call it out straight away then they will be willing to help you because if well now if they're like a money grabber like who then or they haven't dealt with their own issues or they want you to like them then you're going to be in trouble but generally speaking a therapist knows that like they can only be helpful if it's a good fit. And if there's transference or counter transference where they they want you to like them, then then there's going to be a problem.
2: Yeah, I'm going to put that into action now. Because, like, again, like reminding yourself that you do have the power. You can work on what you bring to the table and ask for what you need. As opposed to just saying, oh, here I am now. I better just stick with this because I've paid and you're a nice person and I don't want you to dislike me.
3: And what I really liked about the guy that I'm going to see is that he said, "Like, look, the fact that you've been here once... Is going to mean that it's slightly easier to come back to me than to go to a new person. Please don't let that in the week that goes by, where you're thinking about whether this is the right fit. Please don't just do it because you've been here once. There might be someone else out there for you, and you know, actually, what I decided was that I'm. <laughs> I actually decided I'm not able to make this decision after one session. I just amn't. So, can I can I continue? And now I'll start paying you, but if after a couple of sessions we feel it's not working can you help me to like can you be the one to say it because or and he said what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you every session like do you feel do you have any worries about what's happening do you do you worry that this isn't the right fit for you will we leave it here and and so he's opening the door there for me to be like actually you know what yeah it's not working and I know that he's not going to take offense and I'm kind of interested because this is my first time seeing a man therapist and I don't know that I would be as comfortable with that if it was a woman therapist. For some reason, I care much more about like what woman therapists think of me and what man therapists think of me. Something um, to ask your
2: therapist about.
3: <laughs> yeah, my man therapist.
2: I want to ask you as well about people pleasing. So your second book, Can I Just Say No?, would give the impression that you're very good at setting boundaries and being able to say, you know, this doesn't work for me, this doesn't suit for me. This is a major source of anxiety for a lot of people. How has your relationship changed with getting the confidence to say no to things that don't serve you? And how can we learn to say no? So the book is called Can I Say No? And it was about permission and
3: capacity. So like, can I say no? Am I allowed to say no? But also, am I able myself? Like, do I have the capacity to say no to things? And what I learned it was about my experience of being a people pleaser and coming out of that. And I do have the capacity to say no. And I am allowed to say no. The problem again is that I'm afraid that by saying no, people won't like me. And you know what, what you learn is sometimes people won't like you and that's really difficult. Um, But how I have gotten better at saying no is, There's a couple of tips and tricks that I still use because it's still difficult. My instinct is still to say yes to everybody because either because they like me or because I don't want to miss the job opportunity or, you know, there's this sort of like good for your CV attitude that I have, which is, which kind of plays in the back of my mind all the time where I'm like, oh God, if I say no to this, I'm, I'm cutting myself off. It's wrong on a ladder. You're literally in my brain right now. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just not the case. So I've gotten much better at saying no to things. Um just this morning I had to say no to something and I felt really uncomfortable a charity emailed me or dm'd me on Instagram and said and this happens very frequently. I don't know how much it happens to you, but will you share this and, um, you know, fundraiser for blah blah blah. And so one good thing that I have is I now have a policy. And I learned that if you make something a policy, it's not personal. So I have a policy and anyone who follows me on Instagram will notice. I have never, ever, ever shared a GoFundMe. I've never, ever, ever shared a charity. I've never shared anything like that because I can't possibly vet every single one that comes in. And there are ones that are not, you know, that are sort of um, nefarious or that are for the wrong reasons, or there might be something dodgy in the background of some, you know, And I can vet them all. And so I just have a policy of, no, I don't do that for anyone unless I am an ambassador for something. And then I have met the team and I'm in on the, I'm on the team, you know, and I'm in on the campaign. So I just wrote back to that person. I was like, hi, thank you so much for getting in touch. Um, This looks like a really good campaign. You might have noticed if you've been following me for a while, I've never shared a charity thing or GoFundMe. This is a policy I have because I cannot vet everything and I don't want to, misrepresent myself or any charities i hope you understand that this is not a personal thing it's a policy thanks so much stephanie and people are so understanding now there are some ones particularly gofundmes where if i read into it i will personally support the thing but i'm not going to share it on my instagram so one tip for saying no is have a policy and make that a policy and then people don't feel it's personal another one is um if you're (laughs) this kind of um I use extra syllables or emojis to make things less blunt. So I will be like, hey, with loads of whys, I'm so loads of old. sorry, I'm not going to be able to do this, I hope that's okay, blah, 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 Steph. And th- those ones I still will have a bit of a worry pain in my stomach because I'll be like, oh God, I said no to a thing. But generally speaking, people, you know, it's people receive it much better because people are also a little bit nervous that the thing they're asking you asking of you is going to damage the relationship as well because I know like you probably when you asked me to come on the podcast we're a little bit nervous waiting for my reply about whether it would be like yes or no or like oh my god you know so when people ask something of you they're also vulnerable so they're generally usually just like oh my god okay she said no but at least it was like really nice and we're still cool and she doesn't mind that I asked her
2: something that has helped me is like just always close that loop like don't leave it open if, it, if it's something that you don't want to do and you're worried about hurting someone ever at least like let them know oh
3: I hate when people don't what is that the about? ghosting
2: and it drives me crazy and honestly it's happened to me a lot like within this industry where you've reached out and someone maybe says they're like happy to receive something and then you're like oh did you get that and then it just completely goes or I've asked people to come on the podcast and they just don't respond and it's like I just totally understand if it's not suiting you if you've got no time like I know this game it's fine but just let me know so that I don't think always oh, did she want me to come back again just close the fucking loop it's so rude it's so rude but it's also if you close the loop for if you're afraid of saying no you're gonna just resolve it for yourself and move on to the next I'm gonna move on to the next guest if you say no it's fine you know
3: Yeah. But then there's like, if the loop is open, it's like, oh, my God, what if I see that person at an event? I don't know how they feel. They don't know how I feel. I feel sick. I'm going to puke. And it's like, all you need to do is just say no. Like, it's so much easier than being rude and thinking. But then there is this thing which I wrote about in the book as well, which is that actually they have given you an answer. Like not responding is an answer. And it's a really rude answer. And you can take it as such and you can be a little bit offended because they have given you an answer.
2: I honestly could talk to you all day about all this stuff. I mean, we could, could do an, an entire series, And um, but I'm just conscious of keeping you for so long. But what one thing I really wanted to ask you before we wrapped up was about social media. So you obviously have a very big following. I'm curious about the content that you consume on social media. And do you find yourself falling victim to social comparison? And how do you curate a healthy social media feed, I suppose, that serves you as opposed to taking from your feeling of well-being?
3: in order to answer this how do you feel about me using you and i as an example of course um <laughs> so i my social media algorithm is bananas because i unfollow and follow people so frequently And um, so i have a lot of issues with um like body dysmorphia and, and body issues um i just have a lot of uh, issues with my body and um so I have to be really careful who, who I follow online because I can get into body comparison also with myself um, and pictures of myself. So um, I follow accounts who are about like health at every size. No one who talks about slimming world or uses the word treat or cheat or whatever. And sometimes like the people that I follow, they start doing that and then I have to unfollow them. Um, and that's really tough. And then I'll follow some days I'll be like, no, this is I'm gonna get really aggressive again and I'm gonna start kickboxing again even though I broke like I really damaged my body kickboxing and then I'll follow loads of kickboxing accounts and then that part of my brain will, that protects me will kick in and be like stuff, what are you doing? And then I'll follow them all again. And then in a personal capacity, so you and I have been occupying the same space for very many years and we've been around each other um, but through miscommunication and sliding door situations, we both thought that the other, didn't like each other. Am I right? Yes. And I've been representing it like that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I thought you didn't like me and you thought I didn't like you. And because we were occupying the same space and we know a lot of people, seeing your social media content was making me feel like I was being, like all my friends were hanging out without me, you know, like that. I was like non invited to the birthday party or that. Um, and this happens. And I think that people listening don't understand that like people who are in the public eye or people who have... Like a public platform, we know each other, but we also we're not we don't we don't know know each other, and we we compare each other, and it's really awkward and hard. And so, I couldn't. This was before Instagram had the mute factor, so probably if it had happened now, I would have muted you, so I didn't have to see it. But I had to block you because I was protecting myself from going on your page and looking at the things that. I was like, why am I not there? Because she doesn't like me and I don't know what I've done. But then from your perspective, I know just from us chatting before this podcast that like, you were like, oh my God, she's blocked me. She doesn't like me. What have I done? And if we had, like now that we have been able to be brave enough to call it out, um, it's been resolved, but I wish I had... Um, it makes it makes me consider the other people that I've blocked for those reasons and <laughs> going to them and being like, hey, so I think you don't like me. That's why I have blocked you. Am I right? Or do you think that about me?
2: God, yeah, no, it, it is a tricky one. And I kind of I have done a lot of that myself now. I, I think I've, I've used the mute button. I haven't been as harsh as you with the blocking. I'm sorry. No, you're all right. But I would just be so frightened if, if I met them in at an event. Then it's like, oh, my God, are they going to say it? Because like, again, like you can't cope with the confrontation. So not that I ever would have even said it to you. I don't even think, I don't think I would have, I think I would have been too scared. But what I, for me, where I have definitely muted people who I would totally have a lovely chat with if I saw them in person and think they're great people and stuff. For me, the muting comes from the fear that someone else's success would take for mine. So like the kind of, I could be following someone who is perfectly lovely and I'd have a lovely chat with them and I'm sure we'd be great friends. But like you said, they're like occupying a similar space. It's not a nice feeling and it is a feeling that I've had where you know, if I see someone say, oh, I've published a book tomorrow, even though I've written three books, I'm like, I need to do another one. I need to do another one. Because you have this fear of scarcity and this fear that's only enough, you know, pieces of pie to go around. And even though I know that's ridiculous and I know that's, you know, that's just like my, my old brain reacting to something that's no longer relevant, you know, this fear of scarcity, it's still a sickening feeling. So as much as I want to work through it, I also sometimes just need to say, I'm going to just curate my feed so that I don't see stuff that's going to make me feel that way. Because, you know, you're all in your own lane doing your own thing and then you just see, oh, I didn't get that job or, oh, I should I be this further along? Like the social comparison for me with the career stuff is a really big thing. That's not, and I even hate saying it out loud.
3: No, I think it's really important to say it out loud because I think a lot of people feel that way. I don't have that so much because I don't really know why career stuff doesn't like my career I feel very sort of like on my own track with my career and I think because I deeply deeply so deeply wanted to be a guard that like this isn't that so like if you went and became a guard I'd be like oh my god I can't follow her because I can't look at that because I'm actually just too jealous but I don't have that right now what I do have is kind of like you know, there are some people who I am deeply friends with, but I can't follow their online presence because, because it doesn't feel like the person that I know. And that really freaks me out. Like, I know everyone has a public persona. I'm pretty much myself on Instagram and I follow you now. And I know that you are um, really like truly who you are. But there are some people who like, I'll be texting or WhatsApping, being like, you know how's it going that I go I'm having a tough day and like oh I, you know I'm, I'm fighting my boyfriend and then you go onto their Instagram and they're like hey guys just got this blah 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 and you're like who are you and that really freaks me out because I feel like I'm being gaslit so I can't follow that I have to be like okay I can only have a real life in-person relationship with that person because it makes me feel like like I'm being fooled otherwise.
2: Do you think that you know I, I definitely feel like I've shied away from accounts that are more I suppose aspirational people showing their best bits was such a trigger for me and like the only way I got on top of my anxiety was by saying look I'm not going to just show the best bits there's no positive or negative like you say neutral it's just this is how I am today do you think that if you have a big following like do we have a responsibility to keep it real so that we're not causing more anxiety for people who follow us or do you think it's really a personal choice it's up to you if you want to share the best bits it's up to you if you want to just keep it real
3: I mean everyone has their own choice
2: I think it's about
3: the the individual it's about the followers knowing that if the followers can know what's happening on the account then it's okay you know like if someone is being like this is my real life these are not my best bits this is me at my best and worst and everything is like perfect that's really difficult for someone to metabolize to be like okay so this is someone's best and worst and their worst is better than my best but it's all. It's okay to be someone for someone to be like. I am going to have a posi vibes only Instagram account. I'm not going to come on on my bad days. I'm only going to come on for entertainment when I feel up to it. Then that's fine. People know what they're getting. Um, it's all. I think it's all about transparency, particularly on Instagram because because it's too much and because of this lockdown and because of covid people are spending so much time on instagram it's really i spend more time on instagram than i watch television i don't watch television anymore i hate it um and so the accounts that get me through my day like i feel like i've i've made friends like i love instagram this community is so supportive when you're honest with them when you're real of course there's a few trolls in there but generally speaking your community comes out against the trolls. I call them out as well, you know? Like, I got this balance board for Christmas from my mum. And, like, my followers saw me opening my Christmas presents. They saw that my mum bought this thing for me. And then I was on it the other day, and I was tagging them in it because, you know, you have to stand on it and balance, and it's fun. And I tagged them in it, and then someone was like, oh, you didn't put hashtag ad on and and I was like, what is this? Like, uh, it's not a hashtag ad. I never put up sponsored content. I'm not one of those influencers. I don't get free stuff. And if I ever do get free stuff, I'm very much like this person sent me this thing that is the information you need. But then I put that up and loads of followers were like, oh my God, I can't believe someone said that because I saw you opening that present and your man bought it for you. And um, and even the guys who own the board were like, oh my God, I can't believe they sent you something. Now we are going to send you something. <laughs> I was like, it's not even Um,
2: What advice yeah. would you have, I suppose, to, to wrap up, you know, and a completely respectful of the fact that you're still in it and, you know, we're going to constantly go in and out of these waves. That's just life. You know, it's constant series of struggles and lulls, I think. But for someone who's in it right now.
3: So for someone who's in it right now, and I think a lot of people are in it right now. And one thing that I took away from my podcast with the therapist was, one, it's the situation that is abnormal, not us, right? This pandemic thing is abnormal. And a normal response to a pandemic is to be anxious. Like it would be really weird if you were taking this in your stride, How you know that you might need a little bit of support from a professional is if it's getting in the way of your everyday life, if it's making your life unmanageable. And that's how I know that I'm in the middle of something because I'm anxious most of the time, even on my best days, I'm going to be like, Oh God, who's at the door? You know, why is someone ringing me? I hate phone calls, but I can get through it. And then there are days where it makes my life unmanageable, where I cannot check my bank statements, where I cannot answer the phone because I'm just so afraid that the world is angry with me. Um, And when it gets unmanageable, that's when I know, and it's been like that for a sustained period, that's when I know I can get help. So I guess the takeaway is to know, one, it's pretty normal for you to be feeling anxious right now, but if you feel like it's getting in the way of your life, then you might need some support
2: amazing. Stephanie, thank you so much. There's so much in there that I'm taking for myself around, especially around the therapy and like trying to navigate that and find someone that works for you. And I know that people will really appreciate hearing from you and saying that you're, you know, struggling at the moment because like you say, it's it's all well and good to say, "Oh, I was feeling bad. I, you know, now yeah. I'm perfect. Now if I now I can come back out to the world and now you'll accept me because now I'm fine and we'll all be comfortable with each other because we're all fine." We need to be comfortable with discomfort in order to normalize it and make it easier on everyone. So I can't thank you enough. And before I let you go, actually, in spite of all of these feelings, you're still incredibly successful and you're achieving so much. What have you got going on career-wise? What can people look forward to? This is another thing
3: that's like really used to trigger me when I'm feeling down is like listening. It's kind of like you, like listening to other people rattling off their CV and the fascinating things that they're working on. So I'm working on a couple of things, um, but I don't actually want to talk about them because i think it doesn't help people because they compare the things that other people are achieving so i'm just going to be quiet about those things
2: respect that and people can follow you at stephanie preisner
3: at stephanie preisner stephanie with an f yeah thank you so much thank you so much aside from the podcast i'm actually just really glad that the podcast led to us having the discussion where, where where we made our connection and I'm I'm actually really, really grateful for that. So thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you. And this like so this was like our own personal therapy for each other as well that everyone's (laughs) gonna get to listen in on.
3: (laughs) But I think it's good because female friendships, particularly that play out across social media, I think everyone has experience of that. And so last night before this podcast, I messaged you for the first time ever to be like, I'm nervous about tomorrow because I feel like you don't like me and you were like, Well you blocked me and I feel like you don't like me. And then we made up and I think that's really I think like for two women in their thirties to say that openly that and not pretend like, Oh, we're in the media and we have like totally happy relationship that's
2: I think that's important to say. Well I think if you try if you try to be fake it's gonna just create more tension and more anxiety and we don't need any more of that in our lives. Thank you very much. No, we
3: definitely don't.